Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. What would it take to have high-quality public education all through the state of Texas? We'll be talking about that with Charlie Johnson of Pastors for Texas Children. Welcome to Good God. I'm joined by Charlie Johnson, my good friend, who is the founder and executive director of Pastors for Texas Children. Charlie, Charles Foster Johnson, let's get the whole name right, uh, has uh, been at this work since 2013. Right. And uh, Pastors for Texas Children came about, Charlie, uh, because of uh, an alarm bell that went off for you and some others in right. that year. Tell us about how that happened. Well, several years before that, George, our friends at uh, the Christian Life Commission asked me to represent the Baptist General Convention of Texas in public education advocacy. You know, uh, you say yes when your denominational family comes along. And I said yes, and I learned more and more and more about public education. To specifically answer your question, in 2011, $5.4 billion was cut from our public education budget. In, in the state of Texas. In the state of Texas. That, right. that is a huge structural uh, cut in funding. Uh, schools were already underfunded, but because of some budgetary realities, the comptroller said, look, we've got we've to shave in every area. So everybody sort of gutted it up, teachers, superintendents, policymakers, advocates, parents, and we made that cut. Then two years later, we were flush again with a lot of money and a big old surplus, but only 3.4 billion of those $5.4 billion were restored. So I started asking the question, what's going on here? And I did not like the answers. But essentially what I learned was that there's an attack on public education in the state of Texas among some uh, stakeholders, among some policymakers, some business leaders. Uh, they represent a minority, I'm convinced of that, but uh, they, they certainly have garnered some political will to do some damage to our schools. And all of this time, the population of students in public schools in Texas has not been shrinking. It's right. been expanding, right? 80,000 new students a year mm -hmm. in, in our system. Uh, most of those students are poor. A lot of those students are English language learners because of the, of the situation in Texas with our neighbors being from various backgrounds, mm -hmm. not just Latino, but also Asian and other mm -hmm. ethnicities. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is putting a huge strain yes. on our public education system. Well, so what is Pastors for Texas Children as an organization? We do two things. We mobilize the faith community to help schools. It's axiomatic for a local church to be connected to a local school. You've been a pastor your entire career. Wilshire Baptist Church is connected to a local public school and does great ministry there. We call that ministry, the school people call it assistance or program right. assistance. And so churches are helping schools all over the state. We have 8,500 public schools. And most of those public schools have community partners, churches, civic clubs, businesses. The second thing we do, a little tougher, but we train ministers about how to be a voice for public, good school policy, good public education policy. Basically, 
funding those schools adequately, preventing the privatization of public education. I bet we'll talk about that some. Mm -hmm. Also, early childhood education. We know now because educators tell us if we can get a child in a high-quality instructional program earlier, the chances of that child's success in life increase dramatically. So those are our, and now we're also starting to join a conversation about the role of charter school education mm -hmm. in Texas. We have some great charters in Texas and we wholeheartedly affirm those charters. We have some that aren't great yes. and we want a better policy of accountability regarding charters. So those are our four. I, I think it probably would helpful, be helpful to people to realize that when we're talking about churches, and that includes synagogues and uh, any other religious communities sure. that might get involved with congregations. Congregations is a better way to put that. That we're not talking about going into those schools to impose our religious views in some sense. We're going to actually do what the schools say they need to have done uh, mentoring, uh, tutoring. Uh, material assistance right. for where the teachers are pulling money out of their own pockets exactly to, you know uh, backpacks uh, with uh, food for the weekend and right. and, and summer uh, sustenance for for kids that don't have meals during the summer all of these are different ways that the that the congregations can get involved. It's a very important clarification. We don't come in preaching and praying. That right. belongs in the home and in the congregation. We come in helping. We yes. are hands and feet. Yes. We are faith motivated. Yes. And that's an important part of our message and our mission. But we come in with those tangible assistance programs and right. you just listed them. If we can get trained uh, church members to come in as mentors and tutors for a child that needs a little extra help. Holy cow, that child's academic performance goes through the roof, even one hour a week. And so we promote that kind of community partnership, community involvement. And you also said another very critical thing, always in submission, there's a freighted term, yes. but in submission to the educational leader. We don't right. come in large and in charge. Right. We, we sit down with that principal and ask, how can we help? Right. What can we do? Right. And really mean it. So I think it's important too, especially when you have a name like Pastors for Texas Children. Right. There may be an assumption for people who don't know that we are advocating for private school religious education, in a sense. And the, the name doesn't necessarily say what we're doing with this, but I, I think it's important also to help people think about the fact that there are private schools, there are neighborhood public schools, sure. and then there are public schools that are charter schools. That's correct. And so these three are the types of schools that exist in our state. The funding for both public neighborhood schools and public charter schools comes from our taxes. That's right. Uh, property taxes plus state taxes that come from our business franchise taxes That's and the correct. like in our state budget. And then private schools are funded through personal contributions of families and philanthropy and, and the like. But those distinctions are now there's an attempt to, to see them as one pool uh, 
from which all the money should be drawn to, to be distributed according to the dictates of parents. So let's, let's address the question of whether public education and private education should continue to be separate or whether they ought to be closer together. Yeah. So the private school was started in the first place so that those children would not have to submit to state oversight and state accountability so mm -hmm. that religious programming Mm -hmm. could be done through those private schools. Usually they have. Most of them do have a religious point of view. Um, we believe, we are wholeheartedly affirming of that, of the private school for those families for whom uh, private education works better for their children. We don't want the government coming in through vouchers and other privatization measures, giving the private school money and then coming and saying you have to take the STAR test, you have, to hold, you have to subscribe to all of these accountability measures. So we have lots of private school pastors in our network. We have pastors with church, with church schools that say no to those privatization policies. Because when the government comes in and begins to regulate, there is a loss of religious liberty that, that those schools experience. That's it. It's, a, it's the camel's nose under the tent, so it to is, speak. It is. And it's, uh, it's, it's better to have that separation, but there's a seduction, isn't there? There is. And so religious liberty and church-state separation is a key principle for our movement mm -hmm. and our network on both the establishment side of the First Amendment and the free exercise side. Right. We want those private schools to be able to do as God leads them to do. Right. That is part of our God-given uh, liberty and uh, to express our devotion to God in the way the Spirit of God leads us. On the establishment side, we don't think the state of Texas has any proper authority mm -hmm. to come in and advance any religious cause. So our opposition to vouchers, private school vouchers, to other private, some charter schools also, no, the government should not be in the religion business. Now, all kinds of faith leaders understand that across the board, all kinds of denominations, mm -hmm. very diverse one from another, but unified in this message, hey, uh, Church-state separation has worked for us for uh, 241 years. Let's don't fiddle with it now. Well, it's probably helpful to bring it home for people just a little bit because, you know, on the one hand, people might say, well, what difference does it make if the parent selects to send their kid to a private religious school? They should be able to take their tax money and be able to dictate where their kids goes but on the basis of their money. But, but it's never just their tax money, is it? In other words, it's no. a, tax money is always something that we're all required to pay. And in the end, this is me asking you to pay for my child to go get religious instruction, which may not be what you want to do with that uh, in terms of the mandate of, uh, of public education and your own conscience. It's either going to violate my conscience or it's going to violate somebody else's That's conscience. Right. Right. And, of course, we all have a responsibility right. to educate all our children. So our children are grown. George, you know, you and Kim, your kids are grown. Right. My, my, Jana and I, our kids are grown. 
But we see a responsibility, a social responsibility, right. to educate our neighbor's kids. Too. Right. It's in our interest to do so. Right. So uh, that's why public education really is the cornerstone of American democracy. Not only is it a faith motivation, but it's a civic motivation also. Those are powerful forces at work in our society. John Adams, second president of the United States, mm -hmm. said something very important about the responsibility of pub for public education. Uh, and the funding of it. I'll bet you know that quotation. What he said in 1785, let there be not one square mile without a school in it, not paid for by the generosity of a charitable individual, but by the public, for the public, at the public's expense. Because he realized, he, first of all, Jefferson, Madison, Adams looked at the abysmal failure uh, of, the, of the social contract in Europe for a thousand years when the state and the church were so closely aligned, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. saw conversely that this country was formed on the basis of religious freedom, people coming, seeking to worship God by the dictates of their own conscience, saw the need to educate all children regardless of socioeconomic level, regardless of denomination. And so that's how the public education system was formed. Right. Well, and it, it, it has, a purpose beyond simply giving knowledge to children so that they will not uh, be lacking in understanding of the world. It's also to give them the ability to function as responsible citizens. Well, right? it's so true. The state of Texas in our constitutional principles, uh, uh, Article uh, 7, Section 1, a general diffusion of knowledge. I think our forebears put it very ingeniously. A general diffusion of knowledge being essential to the liberty, preservation of the liberties and rights of the people. Mm -hmm. Comma. Uh, the legislature of this state shall make suitable provision for the operation and maintenance of public free schools. Public free, free schools. schools. Well, uh, we're going to take a, a, a brief break and talk a little more about Pastors for Texas Children as an organization. But when we come back, let's, uh, let's talk a little more, Charlie, about how you go about uh, the work of trying to convince Texans uh, that the funding of all children yes. inadequately and the support of teachers and educators is an important moral, spiritual uh, duty for all of us. You bet. Pastors for Texas Children do two things. We connect our local congregation to the well-being of our local neighborhood school. We provide spiritual support for teachers, school supplies, nutritious food for the children on weekends when the school is closed, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, reading partnerships. These are ways that we provide that wraparound care. America is great because of the democratic institution of public education. We educate all our children, regardless of their background, regardless of their economics, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their religion. Charlie, you and I are both Christian ministers. We have been since We've the been, earth cooled. It seems like it. Long career where we've been uh, working in uh, congregational settings. Uh, you've been the pastor of uh, several churches, taught preachers how to be uh, 
uh, pastors and preachers as well, and now you're doing this work. And, and part of this is whether you're doing it specifically in your way or uh, by helping our congregation in my way, uh, we have a, a concern about this that we think is deeper than just the practical civic responsibility. There is a kind of spiritual God motivated, faith inspired yeah. uh, passion about this for you and for me. Yeah. Uh, tell me where that comes from. Um, perhaps the bedrock conviction of Christian faith is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. George, you and I were a part of, a, of a, an opinion piece several years ago that mm -hmm. was uh, centered around that theme. Right. And it's so simple, and it's so beautiful, mm -hmm. and it's so profound, and people of faith want to love their neighbor mm -hmm. as they love themselves. Right. And God leads us to do that. Every human being is made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. When we read the old, old story, interestingly enough, I had never preached this text, God places the human in a garden. Every human being gets to eat. God's provision and generosity. Out of all the beauty of creation, there's one thing that's not good. That's mm -hmm. for the human to be alone. God creates love, relationship, marriage. In the middle, God brings all the animals to the human to see what the human would name them, call them. And that naming instinct, I have come to believe, is education. It's the labeling, classifying, categorizing God's creation, mm -hmm. all of the phenomena of the world. We have to be able to do that. Right. We need all three of those things to right. be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. It's justice. Yes. It's uh, somebody said, justice is love in the public square. Yeah, yeah. And you have preached on that powerfully throughout your career. We have been privileged, you and I both, to serve churches that are deeply, deeply motivated around that principle of loving neighbor as self. Well, as in the New Testament, and of course in Judaism before it, um, there was always the question, and who is my neighbor? It's true. And Charlie, I think we ought to just name the elephant in the room about this, because in the state of Texas, we really don't have um, a, a big debate outside of urban areas uh, in the state of Texas about the value of public education. Uh, there are not many private Christian schools that are competing for dollars in small communities in rural places True. in Texas. Uh, but those communities are, to be fair, more homogeneous. They are whiter, you might say, they, in, in some Increasingly cases. less so, but Perhaps still. So. But traditionally, there's a sense that uh, everybody in the community is interested in everybody else's kids and sure. that sort of thing. Sure. Not so much uh, true in the places in urban centers yes. where we saw during the 60s and 70s white flight into suburban school districts, true. leaving our uh, school districts in urban settings to be uh, majority-minority, mm -hmm. and so in Dallas Independent School District today, it is only about what, four to five percent Anglo? That's correct. So uh, there is something deeply distressing about the fact that people who look like you and me mm -hmm. generally have an attitude, uh, a, a mindset, that only if we put our kids with other people who look like us, can we expect our kids to get a good education? 
And that is leaving behind um, a, a legacy of education to those who have not had the benefit historically of having advanced education and what is that doing to our school districts? <laughs> Pastor, you've quit preaching and gone to meddling. Well, uh, because, I've fixed two more uh, of that. <laughs> you are hitting, the, I think, George, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's, yeah. uh, and we need some candor and honesty yeah. about that. So 62% of our children and of the 5 point, almost 5.5 .5 million school children in Texas are poor. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming majority of those children are black and brown children. Mm -hmm not an insignificant number of Anglo children also. Right. Now you are right about the white flight in our cities, particularly Dallas and Houston. Mm -hmm. uh, so the question is, do we believe the American dream is for those children? Yes. Do we believe that those children are our neighbor? Would Jesus call us to love those children as ourselves and have a social policy that meets the needs of those children. Oh, wait a minute, you just changed. You just changed. <laughs> I can love them, but I don't want social engineering with my child. Yeah. I should be able to dictate where my child goes, and that gave us separation of races, didn't we it? We really don't believe that, because we have every, um, uh, we're comfortable supporting police, fire, Firemen, yes. uh, roads are a public good. Mm -hmm. We got to this very place on a road. Yeah. Sometimes I have friends who are of a libertarian bent that want the government out of our lives, and I say, well, brother, leave your car parked in the parking lot because you and I together paid for that road. Yes. You didn't just pay for that road. The richest mm -hmm. person in Texas wouldn't pay for that road, mm -hmm. couldn't mm -hmm. pay for that road. Mm -hmm. So we believe in a public good. So we have to examine ourselves and be reflective. Do we want a public policy that accords the benefits of God to all people as equitably as possible? It's a constitutional mandate in Texas, right. a general diffusion of knowledge being essential to the preservation of the liberties and rights of the people. So um, we are in a debate now. I think we're gonna successfully uh, resolve that debate. We're in some growing pains right now. Our country is changing. Anglos are gonna be in a minority in Texas mm -hmm. very soon. I th what is it, 2020 or 2025? It's very soon. soon. And so obviously, we know in our heart, even in our private faith, we know that those children are made in the image of God every bit as much as our children. There wouldn't be anyone in your church that would deny that. Nobody in Bread Fellowship Fort Worth would contradict that. The question does become, how do we distribute God's common good resources as fairly as possible so that though it's in our interest for those children to be educated. We know when they graduate high school, the chances of their gainful employment, their solid citizenship, their law-abiding citizenship increases. We know if we can give them one year of community college, yes. on top of that, bam, statistically right. it goes up even more exponentially. Education is a gift from God. Everybody has to be educated in order to be... Well, the biblical mandate is to love God with all your mind, That's as well as your heart, soul, and strength, right? So, What's the only story we have out of the childhood of Jesus other than His birth? Yes. He's seated at the feet of His teachers. In the temple. In the temple. Yeah, extraordinary. Now, now Charlie, as we do this work, 
there is always the sense that um, when you get involved in the political process, uh, Christian people in our churches get nervous about that. That's right. Um, because they confuse being partisan with being political. It's true. And what we preachers try to do all the time is say, no, we're going to work on issues. We're not going to work for a party or against a party. Rightly so. But let's be honest, in, in Texas today, we do seem to have a, a, a situation where the, the question of public education is somewhat divided along party lines. So when you are working uh, on this, and it sounds to a Republican like you are advocating for democratic uh, policy, uh, how do you avoid the charge that you're being partisan in your politics? You have put me on the hot seat, Dr. Mason. Well, this is what our friendship <laughs> is all about, Charlie. It's, yeah. it's an insightful question. First of all, it's difficult for us, for we ministers, to occupy this public square. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly a Baptist minister, I think. Yeah. We're so disposed to exploring how God shapes an individual heart, right. personal devotion. Right prayer, uh, 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 good works in the world, scripture study, community within a congregation. We just say in our movement, and you're an important part of this movement, George, you were one of our first leaders. We say, how do we take all of that and put it in the public square like Jesus did? Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't spend his time in the synagogue. Mm -hmm. My goodness, we have really remarkably few instances. True. He's out on the streets. So there, we have three parties in Texas right now. We've got a Democratic Party and a mainstream Republican Party that support public education. True. And we have an anti-publican party, I call them, mm -hmm. sort of humorously so. Very, a fringe element. They are, they, they are enjoying some electoral success these days, at least on a statewide level. Uh, that doesn't believe in the public good. They're more libertarian in their bent. I do think they represent an older, white demographic, more affluent demographic, our age, frankly, and older. Mm -hmm. We've now entered that category. Thanks uh, for reminding you me. You know, generationally. Shave that beard so I don't have to look at more gray, <laughs> would you? <laughs> and so the question is, how can we keep what is ours? Right. And it's not in our interest to do that. That's not the way our fathers and grandfathers thought. Right. They were the greatest generation that wanted to preserve the blessings of liberty for everybody, for all. All right. Now, here's one of the challenges I think we all face, whether it's preaching in our church, uh, our churches where we, we know people will disagree with us, uh, or it's getting involved in a political world where we know there are some who have deeply held convictions that we do not share. Mm -hmm. How do we model a way of being engaged in advocacy yes. that respects people's differences and doesn't put them down, demean them, yes. de demonize them, and play that same game and simply try to play it better than they do. Uh, somehow there has to be a way that when we engage in the political process, we model a spirit uh, that is both passionate and committed to its goal, but also really acts in love. How, how do you wrestle with that personally in this work you're doing? I try to, to 
take a moment before I hit that send button, mm -hmm. whether it's posting a message on a, a social media platform, which is a powerful tool for yes. everyone, mm -hmm. our church members, our fellow Christians, we all have a Facebook account, mm -hmm. many of us have a LinkedIn or right. Twitter account, that's a wonderful platform. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful opportunity to witness for Christ, but take a pause before you send that email mm -hmm. and say, does this reflect my fellowship, my discipleship of the Lord of love. I fail that test often, George. Okay. I'm passionate, I'm impatient, mm -hmm. I'm indignant. I see an open attack on mm -hmm. the part of some policy mm -hmm. makers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see the destructive effects of their political positions on our children yes. in our schools. Mm -hmm. And I just have, uh, I'm convicted. Jesus was too. But he always conveyed his message with the love of God. Our political opponents are made in the image of God also. Mm -hmm. And nobody is changed by a big old brick bat over the head. Well, it is true, however, that Jesus was pretty angry at times he, about religious hypocrisy. And he, you know, we like to think about the Sermon on the Mount, Charlie, with all his beatitudes of blessed are you. But the Sermon on the Plain also included a whole lot of, and woe to you. <laughs> it did. <laughs> there, there, were, there were a whole lot of brood of vipers out there that he named. So there is a sense in which, but he didn't talk about uh, the vulnerable and the weak that way. He talked about... Jesus uh, was with the vulnerable and the yes. weak. He was with them. Indeed. And this is what we're learning. If we can do the school ministry, that gives us the authority to do the advocacy. Wonderful. If we're in those schools and we're, pa we're filling those backpacks for those poor kids right. so that they'll have something to eat on weekends and we're doing the one-on-one -on -one mentoring and we're taking up that, those school supplies not just once a year but once a month so that those teachers don't have to spend a thousand dollars out of their own pocket. Yes. First time I heard a preschool teacher tell me how much money she spent at Walmart on britches for her little fellows who had accidents. Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. Right. It's arresting. Yeah. And so we do the ministry, we've got skin in the game, right. and then we take that to the policymaker, and they start trying to say uh, how the cow ate the cabbage, and we say, uh, Representative, hold on. Right. I've been in that school. I know what goes on in that right. school. Have you been in the school? Right. Have you visited? Do you mentor? Do you, you know, are you there every well, week? Well, Charlie, we can see this as a passion for you, and we hope that it is contagious. Thank you, uh, We know you have a viral personality, so I'm sure it's going to be. Thank you for your time with us oh, today. Oh, man, this has been and fun. thanks for all the work you do. Thank you, friend. You bet. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. It is true that it takes a village to raise a child. My neighborhood helped raise me. So let's let the church be that village. 
And I would be hard pressed to think of a more critical investment in the public good than getting involved in your local public schools. And that's what Pastors for Texas Children is all about. Oh God, we thank you for this day. Accept our thanks for the men and women of this great chamber. Today, oh God, let them be mindful that they represent all the people of their districts, especially your precious least of these. I led churches that always, in a general way, endorsed public education for all children. But when I went to Austin, got involved in policy advocacy, got involved in governmental affairs as a faith leader, I learned that there are very specific policies designed to hurt public schools. Pastors for Texas Children do two things. We connect our local congregation to the well-being of our local neighborhood school. We provide spiritual support for teachers, school supplies, nutritious food for the children on weekends when the school is closed, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, reading partnerships. These are ways that we provide that wraparound care. Pastors for Texas Children and uh, Fellowship Southwest have just this really synergistic, uh, mutually beneficial relationship. These are some of the most at-risk people in our state, uh, and we found really tangible handles to love them through Pastors for Texas Children. Fellowship Southwest gives us an opportunity to export our model to other states. Their partnership can help us to mobilize more and more and more faith leaders and faith communities for public education. America is great because of the democratic institution of public education. We educate all our children regardless of their background, regardless of their economics, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their religion.